So what does the Bible say in regards to how we should live as Christ followers in an age filled with prejudice? Well, that's exactly what Chris is going to address today as we begin the second chapter of James, because as we will hear in a moment, there's absolutely no place for prejudice or favoritism among Christians. Here's Chris. Good morning. Is it not a beautiful day out there or what? Incredible, incredible. So I'm going to try and preach quick, get us out of here so we can go enjoy the weather. Uh, Except that instead of two verses this week, we're covering nine. So it could take a little bit light. So I apologize ahead of time. If you're joining us for the first time, we are going through the book of James. James has five chapters. We just spent six weeks getting through chapter one. Uh, And if you're curious and want to learn more, I encourage you to go back and uh, on our website and you can watch all those messages. Uh, James is just jam-packed of wisdom for living and God's, God's plan for how to live a great life. And, um, and so we're slowing down and we're diving in and we're getting each little bit and we're pulling it out and trying to apply it to our lives, trying to go deep on this, on this series because there's so much packed into every single verse. And as I've said all the way along, if you will actually apply what James teaches to your life, you get it not just into your head, but into your heart and out into the way that you live, it will change the way that you live in all kinds of good ways. And so we are taking our time going through today. We're going to be in James chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, open up to James chapter 2. If you don't know how to find James chapter 2, there is an index in the front of your Bible that God put there just so you can find James chapter 2. All right. Um, If you don't have a Bible, one of the things I've been saying every week of this of this series is get a Bible uh, and bring the Bible with you to church. And so if you don't uh, have a Bible, you can get a free Bible out at the, uh, the next step table out there on your way out. Stop and you can pick up one of those. Or if you would like a study Bible, which I highly recommend. Uh, We have those for sale in the lobby, and if you really want a study Bible, but you can't afford a study Bible, we can get you a a free or discounted study Bible thanks to the generosity of some folks who made that possible. So you have no excuse not to have a Bible. Get a Bible, bring it with you to church. Why? Because we don't want to just hear the Word, we want to get it inside of us, and we want to do the Word. In the first part of James, James chapter 1, James made it very clear, it does you no good just to come and and listen and then walk away and forget about what you heard. That's like looking in, your, in the mirror and walking away and forgetting about what you look like. It does no good to your life. The problem is, and I've, I've given you this, this uh, piece of research in the past, you'll forget 95% of what you hear within 72 hours. Unless you take notes, unless you write it down, unless you read it again, and it kind of repetition helps us get it into our hearts, into our, into our minds, and into our lives, and uh, writing helps us do that. That's why I encourage you to have a journal. One of the things that I would encourage you to do, if you're like, hey, I'm trying to read as much of the Bible as I can in a year, is as we go through James, hit pause on that, read James chapter 2, verse 1 through 9, every day this week. Just, just focus on this. Instead of getting a bunch of information in, focus on a little bit and get that in and really get it into your heart and into the way that you live. And, and so if you have a journal, you can journal, you can read it. That would take you all of about a minute. And then pray and ask God's Spirit to speak to you. And then just be quiet for a few minutes and allow God to speak to you. And it will become more and more a part of who you are. It's also why we do life groups. One of the things I have discovered over the course of my 
life is that if I can verbalize and verbally process with other people what I'm learning, it really sinks in. It really becomes, and then I have some accountability built in. Next week, we start our life group season. Sign up, start next week, and groups kick off in three weeks. This is the perfect time to jump into a group. And many of those, if not most of those groups, will be studying James and what we're studying on the weekend. Guys, we just layer, 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 layer. At the end of the week, if you have heard the message, you have meditated on it through it and read it multiple times throughout the week, and you've talked it through with some other people, do you think you got it? You do. And that is way more important than just getting a bunch of information, right? So James, chapter, so get in a life group. You're welcome, Mike. All right, James, part seven of our series Chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what it says. I'm just going to read through real quick and then we'll break it down. It says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Okay, so... James is kind of laying it down pretty heavy. This is, a, this is kind of a heavy teaching. Um, and, um, and at the core of this teaching is not the, the discrepancy between rich and poor and, and rich people are, are disfavored and poor people are favored. At the core of this teaching is this idea of favoritism. That's the example that he uses, and we'll dive into that here in just a few minutes, but, and why that was a, was a thing and why that's important even today. But, but the, at the core, the thing that he wants us to walk away with is this idea of discrimination and favoritism. Like, he, he does not want us drawing lines in, of separation between one another as, as, as followers of Christ. It's... It, it, He's, he's really talking about using this world's criteria, which is what they were doing, to judge people. And as followers of Jesus, we have a completely different criteria with which we are to navigate this life and to navigate our relationships. And so that's what we'll dive into. So, verse 1, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Now, this is interesting. James is the first uh, letter that we have in the New Testament. It's the earliest manuscript of uh, written down record from the early church. Um, so it's before all the other letters and, and everything else. It was written somewhere between 48 or 44 and 48 AD, which puts it within potentially 11 years of Jesus walking around. And historically speaking, that's really close. 
that's really close. And the church is just getting started. It's just getting off the ground. It's almost, you know, I mean, it's, it, and already, and this is why this is important, when he says, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, that, that could translate this way, Jesus Christ, who is the divine glory. He, he, he is referring to Jesus as the divine glory of God. Uh, he, Jesus is God. Jesus is the, the uh, physical manifestation of the invisible God, right? He's the vis- visible expression of the invisible God. That was, that was not something that, that uh, theologians came up with later on down the road. That was at the very beginning of the church, that Jesus was God. The Jewish people would refer to the divine glory of God. The word they would use in Hebrew is Shekinah. The, the glory of God filled the temple, you know, and it was, it was a manifest, physical manifestation of, of God. Well, Jesus is the physical manifestation of God, and the early church believed that. Interesting point. Not the point of this passage, but I think it's important to understand. And he says, as followers of that, of that guy, as followers of God, we must not show favoritism. And he's speaking this into an age filled with prejudice. I mean, people in in this day and age divided themselves. You had Romans and you had Jewish people. They hated each other. They called each other pigs and dogs. It was just kind of part of the deal. Uh, So there was was, uh, racism. There was classism. There was religious hatred between different groups. Everybody divided into different groups. Does this sound familiar? (laughs) <laughs> we got kind of living in this world today. Um, I would say today we see something that you didn't see necessarily in previous generations, and that's ageism. You know, it used to be that people would, would honor people who were older because they had wisdom and years and perspective and all that, and now what we hear is, okay, boomer, which, by the way, boomers, you started it with don't trust anybody over 30 back in the 60s, right? Um, so, but, but that has infiltrated our world today, and there is a, there is a, um, a separation along age, a kind of a distrust, a, a discrimination among ages. And so, that brings me to point number one, and if you didn't pull out your notes yet, go ahead and pull those out there in the program. And point number one is simply this. There is absolutely no place for prejudice or favoritism among Christians. There's no place for it among Christians. In Galatians 3, chapter, or verse 26, the Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This was a radical teaching in their day because it was a completely segregated society based on all the things that we've already covered. The, these people are better, better than these, well, no, these people are better than these people, right? For, for whatever reason, wealth is, is one of them that we're going to look at. But this, is, this was radical. The, the teachings of Jesus from the mouth of Jesus and the actions of Jesus with the people he ran with rocked the world. I mean, absolutely rocked 
the world. And, uh, and as James lays this out, this is countercultural as what I'm going to teach you today is somewhat countercultural to the world we live in today. Now, James or Paul here in Galatians isn't saying there are no differences between men and women or there's no differences between races or anything. What he's saying is we're of equal value in the eyes of God. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ if we're believers. We're, we're all, all been adopted into his families. We're brothers and sisters. We're family. We don't discriminate against one another regardless of the color of your skin, how much money you have, how intelligent you are, and any, number of an, any other of a number of factors. We're all family. We treat each other like that. And this was radical. Jesus rocked the world with this ethic and with this teaching that he brings into the world. It's part of why they couldn't handle him. It's part of why they crucified him, because he broke down all the walls that divided humanity. He challenged the hierarchy. He, he leveled the playing field. He welcomed women into his ministry. That didn't happen in that day. He gave them a place at the table and honor. He valued the poor. They didn't do that. And they tore down the walls of separation between people and groups. And what James is teaching us here is that is how we roll. As followers of Jesus, that is how we roll. Favoritism absolutely has no place in the life of a Christian. Discrimination, prejudice has no place in the life of a Christian. You know, one of the things I love about our church, just brag on our church a little bit. I, I, love, I love this church. I love the, the fact that we are a family. You can feel that when you walk in. But one of the things over the years that has struck me about this church is I have watched as we have, on, on the, the socioeconomic thing, like we, we've had, you know, Presidents of corporations and banks and universities worshiping right next to people who slept on the street last night. Like, and everybody in between. There is no, and nobody gets any, any kind of preferential tr treatment because of that. Um, and that is just a beautiful thing. I think it's a picture of, of heaven. Well, it, James then gives us an example and he, he says, look, in the culture, and this is the culture that he lived in in their day, the rich are given special treatment. They're kind of doted upon, right? They, people are, are thinking, well, I can get, they've got more stuff and maybe I can get more of their stuff. They've got more power, maybe they can do me a favor. They've got political influence. We're going to give them special attention because, well, quite frankly, what can you do for me? You know, it's like, and, and they obviously can do more. And that was part of the culture and the poor were excluded in their culture. They were ignored. They were considered less than human. Now, the thing you have to understand is that there was no middle. Like we live in a country where there's a middle class and there's property ownership. You had the, you had the rich who owned everything and the poor who owned nothing. You know, they were, for, for in large respect, they were, were called bond servants where they, where they, uh, a bond servant is like an indentured servant. And so the church in those first years was made up primarily, probably 95% of people who were servant class people. They were, they were poor. And yet now 
a rich person comes in and we're, we're doting on them and we're doing exactly what the world does. We're using the standard of the world, of the world to uh, influence the way we treat people. And that's what he says. He says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. Now, he's kind of, he's kind of painting a picture. He's saying, just suppose. Now, I'm quite sure this has happened, or he wouldn't be writing this, but he's like, you know, we'll soften a little bit. Say, just suppose this happened. So, suppose this happened. So, the, the rich man comes in. He's got lots of rings on. Rings were a status symbol uh, in their culture. Uh, the, the more rings, they would wear them on their left hand. The more rings you had, the richer you were. Uh, one commentary said this, in Roman society, the wealth the wealthy wore rings on their left hand in great perfusion. A sign of wealth, rings were worn with great ostentation. So it's a show-off culture, right? The more you have, the more you show it off. The more you show it off, the better people treat you. There were even shops in, the Ro in Rome where rings could be rented for special occasions. This was not just, hey, I need extra jewelry. So I, This is, hey, I need to look richer than I am. This is part of the part of the culture that, that James is writing into, a show-off culture, and the rich were doted on. Why? Well, obvious logical reasons. Rich people can do more for you. They have more stuff. Maybe you can get some of that. They can do favors. They can pull strings. In verse 3, he says, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? The answer to that question is yes. Yes, you have. This was the value system of their world. And to some degree, it's the value system of our world. Maybe not as pronounced, but it certainly is. And it was clearly what was happening. You're like, yeah, but that, that doesn't happen in the church, or that's never happened in the church since then, right? No, it has. You know, in um, the, 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 the uh, early to mid-1700s, there was this guy named John Wesley. Anybody heard of John Wesley? Say yes. Heard of the Methodist church? You've heard of the Methodist church. So, so John Wesley uh, leads this movement. It's crazy. He's got a huge heart for the poor. Methodist churches blow up. It's the, uh, it's the uh, Methodist Episcopal church, actually, is, is what it's called early on. And, uh, and the heart for the poor and all that. By the mid, mid to late 1800s, when these churches were all started, they were selling pews or renting pews in the church. So to get in and get a seat that wasn't in the back, standing room only in the back of the church, you had to pay a certain amount of money. It's crazy. It's like, how do we get there from here, you know? But this is the nature of a corrupt human heart, right? By 1860, there was a, a movement within the Methodist church, and there was a breakaway uh, group called the Free Methodists. Have you heard of the Free Methodists? Why were they called the Free Methodists? Because you didn't have to pay for a seat at church. It was free. Woohoo! It's like, it's like a big sale, you know, bonus, bonus, you know, big sale, 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 free, free, free. Come to church. But they had first class Christians and second class Christians, depending on what you can pay. That's crazy. That's nuts. And yet, if we don't guard our hearts, if we don't learn the lessons that we find here in James, we end up in the same place. Brings me to the second point in the message, which is this. It is human nature to judge by appearances, but it is not right 
It's not right. You know, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus on paper, looked like much better leadership material than Simon Peter. He did. If we were judging by the criteria of the world, Judas would have been the guy. But he wasn't. We look, we look at the externals and we miss what God looks at. We often misunderstand who is important and blessed in the sight of God. And that's exactly what James says here in verse 5. He says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Now, it would be very easy to walk away from this going, well, God obviously loves poor people better than he loves rich people. And I don't think that's what this is teaching. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. The poor are chosen in the sense that the poor more readily respond to faith in God. They don't have a bunch of stuff to put their hope in, their trust in, their faith in, to draw their identity from, right? I've heard it put this way, the rich, the rich man may trust God, the poor man must trust God. It's just a, a reality of, of uh, resources. And Jesus makes very, very clear that riches are an obstacle to faith. Not an insurmountable obstacle, but a real big obstacle to faith. And he says it over and over and over again. For that reason, because we are so tempted to put our hope, our trust, and everything in our stuff and our affection, which ultimately turns into worship rather than putting those things in God. Jesus says in Matthew 19, 24, again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Like, he puts a huge big warning label on wealth. But he also never calls for us to show partiality against the rich. He doesn't say discriminate against the rich. It just says, don't, just don't show them special favor, if that makes sense. He warns us how dangerous an unsubmitted heart is when it comes to wealth. I've got a great friend who is one of these guys, maybe you know somebody like this, who, who everything they touch turns to gold. Like they, they start a business and it's like, woo, it's successful, and they make a bunch of money. Anybody know anybody like that? It makes me so mad. I like it. just like... Not really. I think it's great. But, uh, and it's just like God, I, I don't know why, but, it, but, but this, like this, this ability that's just there. And, and, uh, but he's also a devoted follower of Jesus. We were talking a while back, and he looked me in the eye over lunch, and he's like, he's like, Chris, people have no idea how subtle and how seductive money is on the human heart. And he goes, I can feel it happening in me. Every, and what, his solution to this is every once in a while when he figures out that, oh my gosh, my heart's, my heart's not quite right, he'll just give it all away and then trust that God's going to restore that, which he always does. But that's, it's like, it's that dangerous, right? It's that dangerous. It, it really is seductive. So what James is doing here is he's acknowledging the truth about wealth it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than 
camel to enter the eye of a needle. Why? Because they don't have to trust God. So why would you show special favoritism? Why would you work out of the paradigm of this world and not value what God values. Not that God doesn't value them, but he certainly doesn't value them any more than he values the person who has nothing. And in verse 6, he says that, but you've dishonored the poor. He's calling them out. They've adopted the value system of this world. And in so doing, they've harmed their brothers and sisters. They have dishonored their brothers and sisters. James does not care about whose toes he's stepping on here, and I love that about James. It's part of the reason people love James is because he's just like, say it like it is. And then he says, look, this doesn't even make sense. Like, given what's going on in the world, this makes no sense whatsoever. So here's what's going on. First 11 years of the church, the wealthy... The religious, Jewish religious leaders and the wealthy Roman elites are trying to wipe out Christianity. They are persecuting, they are killing, they are dragging into court and trying to have arrested and, and, and wiped out Christianity, period. And it is the rich, because we have the poor and the rich and this Jesus thing's 95% poor. And so... It's these rich people who are trying to destroy Christianity, trying to destroy the Christians. And he's like, so why on earth? This makes absolutely no sense. He says, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Doesn't make any sense. Why would you... I mean, not that we're supposed to show favoritism or discrimination against anybody, but given the reality that we live in, this is dumb. This makes no sense. And then in verse 8, he says this. And this, this is, don't miss this. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin or, and, and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. The royal law, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? And he said, well, it's love God with everything you got. He said, but there's a second and it's right up there with it. And the second most important command is love your neighbor as yourself. It's the royal law. And Jesus said, all the law and the prophets, everything written in the scriptures hangs on these two commands. Jesus is like, if you do this, you're doing right. Love your neighbor as yourself. Loving your neighbor as yourself does not include prejudice, does it? It doesn't. Prejudice, segregation, favoritism, they hurt. We harm people by those things. And James is calling it out unapologetically, and he says it's straight up sin. It violates the second most important commandment in all the Scripture. Which brings me to point number three. Favoritism is not love, it is sin. Favoritism is not love, it is sin. 
Matthew 7, verse 12, Jesus said this, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So Jesus, in another way, gives us, what what do we call that, the golden rule? Do to others what you would have them do to you. Love your neighbor as yourself. They're kind of the same thing. They're very similar, said a little differently. But Jesus was at the very core of what he was teaching was like, this is how we treat people. And no one wants to be excluded. No one wants to be discriminated against. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. So stop it. I'm just kidding. So where do we see this today in our culture, in our world, sometimes in the church? Where do we see this? Well, I think the, the whole socioeconomic thing is apt, right? I mean, we've got, our, we've got uh, different classes of people socioeconomically, and, and, and we look at each other and, and, uh, and, and you know, throw rocks or at least... D- d- segregate ourselves and divide ourselves. I grew up in uh, Elm Grove out on Big Wheeling Creek out over the Marshall County line. Can I hear it for out over the Marshall County line? All right, woo right? And I remember as a, as a kid, the kids in the neighborhood would be talking about those kids that were growing up in Woodsdale, the rich kids. Yeah, now as an adult, I look around and I'm like, the rich kids? But anyway, but as a kid, it was like, well, there was, there was, you know, there was Warwood and there was Elm Grove and there was, you know, and there was a socioeconomic thing going on there, even at age seven, right? Like we look at each other, we separate ourselves, and that is real. That is real. And we do it as adults, and it's not the Woodsdale to Elm Grove anymore, it's, you know, it's wheeling to Davos or something like that. But, but we, have our, we have our lines, right? It's the rich men north of Richmond is what it is. Oh, he said that in church. It's a great song. All right. In church, we have our country club churches. We have our blue-collar churches, and we divide ourselves based on what our world says separates us and sets us apart from one another. James says, don't do that. Don't do that. In our world, we see, we see crazy racial divide today, unlike I've ever seen in my lifetime. You know, when I graduated from high school in 1988, the horrific racism that existed in the 1960s that the civil rights movement fought against Man, it was like we we're this close to that just being behind us. Like from, from my perspective as an 18-year-old, at, at that point in time, we were, we were this close to being a post-racial society. Now, I'm not saying racism didn't exist. Racism will always exist, and there will always be people who are hateful, but never let that be you. So I'm not saying it didn't exist, but we were close And now I look at our world, and there is so much hate, and there is so much division along racial lines. It breaks my heart. It violates the the very heart of God. And we're being taught to look at each other this way. We're being divided. And James would speak into that and say, no, 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 no. That's the value system of this world. 
There's a guy a few years ago wrote a book called How, Not, How to Be an Anti-Racist. His name was Ibram X. Kendi. And this is the ethos of our age. This is what he writes. The only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. And the only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. In other words, we have to divide ourselves and discriminate against one another. That's the ethic of our world. That is not the ethic of the Bible. That is not the ethic of Jesus. That is not the ethic of James. And that is not the ethic of our Father in heaven. We have to forgive one another, we have to unite together, and we have to move forward as brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of race, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of anything else, intelligence or anything else, regionality, any of it. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Do not buy into the lies of this age. You know, the other, other place, and I could go on, but I'm just listing a couple of examples, but one place where I see huge divisions, where we divide ourselves, we draw the lines, and we discriminate is in the arena of politics. You know, and this has made its way into the church. You know, there are Christians who are like, well, you can't be a, you can't be a Democrat and be a Christian. And then for completely different reasons, you'll have people go, well, you can't be a Republican and be a Christian. And neither side knows that they're being played against one another, right? And the, and the, yeah, being played from both sides. We do not judge by the criteria that our world judges. We are brothers and we are sisters in Christ. And James makes clear with equal worth, equal value, and that value is huge. You know what determines your value or the value of anything? Who made it? How rare is it? And how much is someone willing to pay for it? That's what determines value, right? So in regards to human beings, our brothers and sisters in this world, who made them? God. So if I were to bring out on the stage a Chevy and a Mercedes and ask you which one was more valuable, which one is more valuable? The Mercedes is. I'm sorry. They both do the same thing. They both, you know, get you from point A to point B. But the Mercedes is more valuable because it's a Mercedes. It was made by Mercedes-Benz. It's a more valuable maker you were made by God, the maker of heaven and earth. He created you, and as David says in Psalm 139, you were knit together in your mother's womb. He says, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm sorry, but God trumps Mercedes as a maker. You're knit together in your mother's womb. I remember when Christy and I found out that, that she was pregnant with our first, and we went in for that ultrasound early on in the process, and, and it comes up on the screen, and there's a little peanut in there, and I'm like, he looks just like me. No, I didn't. I was like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is going to be interesting to see how this works out, right? I mean, it's a, it's a little 
little larva in there almost. Uh, anyway, you know, seven months later, Deuce is born. He's got fingers and toes and a smile and eyes and ears. And, and God put him together piece by piece by piece. He made him exactly who he wanted to be. His miracle. And I can't believe he's 18. But anyway, and that's another miracle, you know, as he, as he grows. But made by God. You were made by God. And so was everybody you know. Rarity. As human beings, we are made in the image and the likeness of God. There are no other creatures in the universe made in the image and the likeness of God that we know of. Among all creation, we are unique. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. We have the capacity to love, the capacity to reason, the capacity to think abstractly, the capacity for things that the rest of creation does not have because we are made in the image and the likeness of God. We have the capacity for relationship. We are rare among all creation. And then lastly, price. What's somebody willing to pay for John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. 1 Corinthians 6.19 puts it this way, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. The price that someone was willing to pay for you is God was willing to pay with the life of his one and only son for you. And he paid that same price for every human being you know. So why would you discriminate based on the criteria of our world? Why would you show favoritism based on the criteria of our world? And James says, don't. It's sin for all of these reasons. And guys, this is the heart of the Father. Do you know how much God loves people? He loves people, and not just you. God loves people so much he sent his only son. And our world tells us, well, yeah, but we all have different value. We all have different worth based on all kinds of different things. And so we can treat people differently. And this has been the history of humanity, right? It's one of the sins that, that has plagued our world all the way along. Certainly part of our, our culture today. You know, we've seen some horrific things over the last 100, 150 years. So we've seen, seen how as we divide ourselves based on, again, everything from race to finances to everything else we've talked about, how we can justify horrific things. You know, at the foundation of, of, of modern science is this theory called evolution that was written by uh, and developed by a guy by the name of Charles Darwin. Maybe you've heard of him. Charles Darwin came out with a book in the mid-1800s called On the Origin of the Species. You familiar with that? All of modern science is based on this, and a lot of modern sociology is based on this. Did you know that the Subtitle for On the Origin of the Species by Means of Natural Selection is, do we have it up? 
There we go. Or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. You pick up that book today, that subtitle's not there. It's too, it's too controversial. That's at the foundation of that theory. That's at the foundation of what he wrote. That is what went on to justify in the mind of Hitler terminating six million Jews because they were not a favored race. That's what went on. That was the philosophy and, and the um, worldview that uh, bore out the whole eugenics movement in the early 20th century that put birth control clinics and eventually abortion clinics in predominantly African-American communities because they were not a favored race. God says that's evil. You're not an accident. This is not an accident. People are of innumerable value. And we need to treat each other that way. And we need to stop discriminating. And we need to stop the evil. Justified 100 years of horrific racism. And still has its claws in the, in the heart of our culture to this very day. See, the value system of the world separates, it segregates, it ranks us, and God doesn't see us that way. He sees us all as his kids sitting around the table for Christmas or whatever, not arguing politics, but loving one another because we're all the same. We're all part of the same family, and he wants us to treat each other accordingly. Guys, we all have preferences. We're all drawn to different people right? That's okay. But I think what James is saying here is don't let your preferences become prejudices. Don't let your preferences dictate the way you treat people. It's okay to have favorites. It's not okay to show favoritism. That's reality. And as I said, if someone discriminated against your kid, you'd be mad. I think God gets mad too. So, bottom line, treat people with respect. That's what James is saying. Treat people with respect. Philippians 2.3, in humility value others above yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. 1 John 4.20, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do to others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule. You know, Jesus said when he left, right before he left, he told the disciples, the world's going to know you're my followers by how you love one another. So love one another well. Or as James puts it, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would forgive us where we have. God, I pray that you would convict us where we have and we, 
we just have a blind spot and we can't see it. And Lord, I pray that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to live lives of such radical love. Lord, to live the way that you teach and not the way that our world dictates. And as we do, Lord, that that light would shine so brightly in our world. Lord, that your light would shine so brightly in our heart that it would bring a smile to your face as we love well. And Lord, it would shine a light on your gospel. As we live different, as we live distinctively different and awesome lives in a world that is off track in so many ways. And God, we just acknowledge we can't do that without you. Lord, in our own power, I mean, we can, we can try and we must, but we need your power at work within us. So Spirit, fill us lead us and help us to do this well in jesus name amen thanks for joining us on the vineyard church podcast today it's our greatest desire for people to find and follow god and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that but don't stop here we would love to see you face to face God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.